think I think I see where it's going this one. Hello and welcome back to the Loyal Sons podcast. That's at the Loyal Sons on Twitter. Follow us there and follow us here for hit sports content you won't want to miss. If you love win columns with two digits and hate both demons and deacons, this is the place for you. The Loyal Sons podcast, a safe, sunshiny place for your ten-win hit football teams. Today is Wednesday, December the first, and it's Championship Week. I'm speechless. Squid's just shaking. I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Squid and Dylan. How are you guys doing on this beautiful day? Fully recovered from the great weekend. We were watching the game at a wedding, so we took our celebration to uh, higher heights than usual. Of course. Uh, I think I was just walking around telling strangers that Pitt has 10 wins. And that pits 10 and 2. And uh, some of them were just as excited as we were. So uh, I don't know if it really set in until you just said it, but Pitt's playing in the ACC championship in, in less than a week. And that's, if you would have told me that back in August, uh, I can tell you I probably would have cut off a few few fingers to, to, to lock that in. <laughs> so glad I didn't have to. Yes, uh, this week Pitt plays Wake Forest, uh, the winner of the Atlantic Division in the ACC Championship. That explains why none of us got anything done at work today. Uh, but before we get too into the weeds on uh, the, the moment we've all been waiting for, I think we owe the 31-14 to win over Syracuse, win number 10 of the year, uh, a couple of our minutes. So, let's get into that. Uh, a pretty brief recap do we have any very general thoughts about uh, this game? It was a little bit slower than usual. Pitt got out to a slow start, got marched on the first drive, but were able to eventually figure it out and pull away. Uh, I'm just happy that Pickett and Addison padded their stats a little bit. Pickett got his 40th passing touchdown. Addison got two more receiving. Uh, it's big going into the home stretch of the season, and they're up for some big awards, so... That's what I cared the most about, aside from physically just winning the game. Yeah, I thought it was pretty concerted effort to get uh, Jordan Addison some touches, get uh, Kenny another passing touchdown down there by the goal line. Uh, one was, two of them came on screen passes in the red zone. So, um, you know, I, I respect that. I respect the stat padding. And um, Gavin Bartholomew had had another big game. I think this is becoming a. Uh, recurring segment for us is just talk about Bartholomew a little bit. Um, I mean, he's just an absolute stud. And then uh, the defense, you know, after giving up a score early, you know, strapped in, held Sean Tucker to only 29 yards on the ground. Uh, no one's done that to him this year. So overall, just a really strong performance. A game that, you know, they looked a little flat coming out, really could have, you know, spiraled out of control, but instead they just righted the ship and won comfortably. Yeah, we were following it on somebody's phone for a majority of the game. We snuck out and peeked at the TV yeah, every yeah. once in a while. but In between uh, chicken dishes and yeah. cake. We were coming and going. We weren't fully tuned in for every single play. I kind of forgot that it was 7 nothing after one quarter. That was not a, like, oh, we went three and out the first drive. We didn't get the wheels going for a little while. 
it was a pretty characteristic slow start. Uh, Pitt has only scored on its opening drive um, twice this year, I believe. I got the breakdown here if I, we can oh, go through. Oh, by all means. Pitt's uh, opening drives on offense. Um, here we go. Punt. 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 Turnover on downs. Punt. <laughs> Punt. Punt. Touchdown. Touchdown. Yo. Turnover on downs. Okay. Punt and turnover on downs. So. <laughs> Let the record reflect that the Loyal Suns were on that trend first. Uh, everyone else is just uh, listeners who hit copy and paste. Uh, but, but yeah, I it was frustrating at first, certainly. But I, I kind of boiled it down to... Game plan driven. Um, there, there were a couple things I noticed, you know, when we were able to catch large chunks of the game, uh, and, and it was three three primary themes. I think they wanted to give as many starters a break as possible without it being obvious. We saw a lot of different names on defense uh, throughout the game. Uh, Twenty seven defensive players that I counted recorded a tackle. Um, so that's that's quite a quite a few more than we would see in a normal game, and uh, I th- I think a, a few people had remarked that we saw some younger guys get in there uh, and and get a shot. Uh, another one is I I don't think Pitt was too keen on opening up the playbook and giving Wake Forest anything new. I mean, the play calling we saw was very simple: Pretty screens, dives, you know. One one nice long ball to Addison on a third and short, as is tradition. Uh, but but really not trying to give next week's opponent anything new. I and think then, that also comes down to Syracuse playing like uber conservative on defense. I think Narduzzi said that uh, they played just a lot of like deep cover three. So we'll take what they give us, and we'll just slowly and methodically beat Syracuse. In other weeks, I'm sure we'd try to be more creative to get around that and right. take our shots, but it's Syracuse. Just get up there, punch it in, move on. Yeah, I mean, if you don't need to reinvent the wheel the week before the ACC championship game, you don't. And then obviously Dylan uh, touched on the clear and concerted effort to get Jordan Addison and Kenny Pickett style points. That explains Jordan Addison's Maurice French-esque stat line. Uh, with the exception of the touchdowns, those were a little bit harder for uh, French to come by. Yeah, 11 catches for 81 yards. Um, obviously, a lot of those short little screen passes. Um, obviously, the one down by the end zone. And, uh, I mean, I'll take it. He got, got his uh, receptions number looking a little better. It was a little light compared to the other finalists. Mm-hmm. Um, but he got up to 85 catches on the year, and more importantly, 17 touchdowns, which... Uh, the next closest to him in the FBS is 13, so I feel like he has a pretty good strong hold on that Bolitnikoff Award. I think right. it would be an absolute travesty if he doesn't win it. Um, and, you know, hats off to Jordan for an amazing year. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, yeah. In case uh, you forgot. <laughs> so, you know, not Pitt's most impressive performance, I think, by any stretch this year. But I don't really think anyone's complaining, given the context surrounding the game. Uh, but one thing a lot of people are complaining about uh, is the ACC Network broadcast of the game. It 
I mean, they just outdo themselves. Every every game hits on the ACC network. Um, I did, like we said, we were at a wedding. Didn't get to listen to a ton of it, but saw a lot of tweets. Yeah, based on a lot more of than the, your usual. <laughs> a lot of the reactions. Uh, one was it didn't even seem like the announcers were in the Carrier Dome. I don't know if they were or not. Which which bravo to the ACC network. Not not deeming it fit to pay to fly out the broadcasters to Syracuse, New York, when their championship favorite was playing a primetime game. Just astounding. Incredible. And their only Heisman finalist candidate. Yeah. Do yeah. you think he'd be like beating people's ears off about Kenny Pickett for the ACC network? I mean... You would think. Put him on Packer and Durham every week, but I don't know. It was, it was pretty astounding. Um, a lot of... Uh, people I saw compared it to a high school broadcast. But let, let me clarify something. Myself, Dylan, and our friend Drew, who's a part of the Come On Network, uh, used to do the North Hills broadcasts, and I promise you it was higher quality than what you saw on Saturday night. I watched the highlights in condensed game, and I had no clue that Servasia Dennis picked up a fumble until like the play was over. I was like, is that an interception? Like the camera was all the way at the line of scrimmage, and the play was 15 yards downfield. And the broadcasters didn't realize what happened yeah, until they saw the Yeah, it was just silence replay. and, like, linemen running around until he was tackled. So, it was a lot of that, and I don't know. It was a boring game, so who cares? <laughs> there were no Syracuse fans watching, I'm sure. The Pitt fans had to deal with all that. Yeah, um, not not the most exciting game in the entire world. Um, it did provide at least one exciting post game moment. Uh, if you if you were one of the few who listened to us on Thanksgiving, you know, stepped away from your family and uh, threw us on and took a jog or something, or you know, a walk around the neighborhood with your cousin before dinner, as uh, some people so often do. Um, you you heard us talking about Sean Tucker. Uh, Syracuse's disproportionately talented running back uh, and his hilarious post-game tweets where, you know, it's either a win and he talks about that in his statistics or I am pleased with my performance but not happy with the outcome when he runs for 150 yards uh, and they lose by 30. Um, we got a special one this week. Uh, Dylan, why don't, why don't you give us a little bit of a reading? This from at Sean Tucker 2020. We lost our last game, Pitt 31, Syracuse 14. W. I'm not pleased with the outcome of the game or the play calling. I wanted to do so much more, but I don't call the plays. Good luck to all the seniors moving on. Ouch. That's a real tweet from the real Sean Tucker Twitter account. Yikes. Now, Syracuse did fire their offensive coordinator. Maybe it's okay to criticize uh, the play calling when your OC gets fired. Maybe, or, or you just transfer. Maybe he'll be in the transfer portal tomorrow. I, I think we called it. I think he's gone. If you're averaging two yards a carry, you're in no position to be demanding the ball more. Yeah, I mean, Pitt, Pitt simply put in a game plan to shut him down. Um, you know, I mean, thirteen carries, twenty nine yards. That's uh, it's not going to pay the bills for any offensive coordinator. I don't care what plays they're calling. So. Uh, but great tweet, great tweet all around. I'm still yeah. genuinely curious if he's the one actually making these tweets. I think uh, if he wasn't, he would have to come out and figure out who was doing it today. Well, you uh, said he tweets like an old man. Um, it was brought to 
hit Twitter's attention that he very much looks like an old man, so we might have <laughs> like a I don't know if it'd be a Benjamin Button type situation. There I think Syracuse might just be rolling out a forty year old dude at running back. A little Bishop Sycamore action. Yeah. Yeah, so um he could very well be gone, and you heard it here first. I just feel bad for the coordinator that lost his job and then got his grave danced on by some <laughs> 19-year-old kid. So, moving on, let's talk uh, Servassier dennis Memorial nut-up play of the game. Is there uh, one particular play that stood out to you guys? Pitt, the, the victory, even in the beginning, never really felt completely in doubt, so there wasn't really a turning point to the game, but... Uh, is there a play that you guys saw that really exemplified uh, Servassier Dennis's memory um, and and the toughness he exemplified? I think um, it's it's hard to come up with a nut up, drop your balls type play in the game right. uh, at, in the way that Voss would w- really you know coin the term. Um, but I think that at the consensus for me is the uh, Gavin Bartholomew truck stick and almost actually murdering a Syracuse defensive back after his his catch and run and the guy's helmet hit the hit the uh, turf before his feet did that was just a grown man play from a from a 19 year old tight end yeah Gavin dropped his nuts and said I'm getting this first down I don't care what any of you have to say broke a couple tackles stiff armed a guy he said yeah I'm also a freshman no big deal that's got to be demoralizing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't matter who's running yeah. over like that. But the fact that he's, what, 18, 19? In, and in the grand context of the game, it didn't really make a difference. It was a nice first down. He caught the ball a couple yards short and uh, sent three dudes to the shadow realm. But the the ferocity and the physicality uh, is, is something I think Servassier Dennis would have really been proud of. So I, I think that that is a... A worthy pick. A worthy pick, yes. And he is only 18. I stand corrected. I thought he was 19. He's only 18 years old. That is unbelievable. He is a grown-ass man. Uh, 6'4", 260? Are you kidding me? Well, we need more We need more Gavin Bartholomew. That's like in the old NCAA games whenever you'd be scouting the guys you're recruiting. It's like, oh, here's a little low-ranked three-star. And you scout him some more. It's like a plus-10 overall gem. Yeah. Those NCAA players out there will get that reference. That's Gavin Bartholomew. <laughs> so we've we've given uh, Syracuse their proper respects. Uh, we can now tie a nice, neat little bow on the regular season, ten and two. However, there has been um, you know some discussion uh, on Pitt Twitter that may or may not have been instigated by us uh, about how Pitt should be ending its seasons. So we we played Syracuse this year, and I guess technically, uh, by virtue of the most consecutive games, you know, consecutive years played, uh, Syracuse is our biggest rival, but it doesn't feel like an actual rivalry. Uh, we, we beat up on them, and I I do have animosity towards Syracuse, but it's, you know, nothing crazy or spectacular or filled with vitriol. Um, so I, I think it'd be fair to ask, if Pitt had a yearly uh, final game of the regular season rivalry game, who would you prefer it be against? You know, a la a, uh, a Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Iowa, Minnesota. I'm sorry, Wisconsin, Minnesota. 
and then Iowa plays Iowa State, but that's earlier in the year, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The question <laughs> that I asked. Georgia, Georgia Tech, all those games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there's a bunch of them. Um, we put it out there. I think there's really only two real options. Right. Penn State or West Virginia. Um, I would say right now my, my hatred towards Penn State is, is a, goes a little deeper than it does for West Virginia. Um, I don't know how right it would feel to be playing Penn State at, at that point of the year. But I do know that uh, waking up on, you know, whether it was Saturday or maybe even Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and getting ready to go down to the North Shore and, and just chirp with a whole bunch of hillbillies from West Virginia, uh-huh. that, that would have just felt right. That the hate just... in the backyard brawl is different than the Pitt Penn State. I mean, I hate Penn State as much as the next guy, but it's just a different kind of hate with West Virginia fans. Silky Johnson, player hater of the year type hate is the type of hate in that rivalry. And I also think I would enjoy it more because West Virginia uh, fans would actually buy into it and wouldn't try to play the Penn State greater than thou card of, oh, you're you're not good enough to be our rival. You're not our rival. We're unrivaled. We, we're rivals with Ohio State. We're rivals with these two other schools that beat us routinely every beat the shit out of us. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I've had about enough of the Penn State, you know, they're better than us mentality and would really just love love another fan base that would embrace that that pure hatred. So, um, I mean, I think we're almost pretty much all on the same page. I, I, I would go with West Virginia if the option was there. Backyard brawl back next year. Uh, first weekend of the year, I, I do think it would, there would be a little more, you know, oomph behind it if it was, you know, right after Thanksgiving. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's going to be electric next year as well. Yeah, bringing it back, I mean, week one would be pretty sweet. But I would love for it to be back in its old spot because end of the year, ruin someone's season, uh, all that good stuff. So, Squid, do you agree with Dylan that you'd prefer a West Virginia rivalry week game? I think so. It's tough, but like I said, going down to Morgantown is like a war zone from what I've heard. Uh, yes. We, we also grew up with the West Virginia rivalry yeah. a little more. I think the older crowd... Probably leans Penn State, right? Um, but for us, you know, we we didn't get to play Penn State all but four years, and, and that was a little more recent. Yeah, I I actually am gonna zag here. I think I'd prefer Penn State. Um, okay. If, if I, I have a couple reasons, one of them being my my smooth brain likes things that fit into pretty little boxes. So a battle for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania at the end of the year dominate the state. Dominate the state. Uh, I I would love that personally. Um, I do hate, 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 double hate, loathe entirely West Virginia. Um, but Penn State, it's a, it's a little bit, little bit more more special. Uh, and I would just love the opportunity, or at least to be given the opportunity to ruin their season any given year. Um, I think honestly, if we played West Virginia, it'd be a little bit more competitive. Penn State has had a few more good years than us over about the last 20. However... Not uh, the last two. There's clearly a new king in the state, and I, I think it'd be an opportunity to prove that, but um, I I love the nostalgia associated with it. Um, and again, I just... I'd love the opportunity to knock them off their pedestal every year. I will go on record of saying is I wish we played them both every year. 
because I think that's what college football is about. I know, you know, people will talk about how the non-conference schedule is too hard, this and that. Um, I would love to see both West Virginia and Penn State every year because those games would be more important than any ACC contest we play. Obviously, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, if you're trying to win the conference, um, things have different implications. But in terms of, wow, do I really just want to win on Saturday? I, I can't imagine any opponents where I'd feel that way quite like Penn State and West Virginia. It's a shame that one of those teams is in our conference. It is. It is. Is there? Is there having a, that Big East showdown at the end of the year with West Virginia was just something different. Now it's like ah, Syracuse. Is, no, I I'd love to to hear um, because West Virginia is just irrelevant now. Yeah, they have been. There's the Big Twelve. They're just not doing anything special. It's like are, how are even their rivals? We're not. But it's. Uh, I I agree with you. Um, it, what really hurts about it is is college football, uh, at its core, is a deeply localized tradition. Um, you know, it it basically sprung up in in five different geographic regions and grew from there before it was kind of pulled together at a national level by the NCAA. And you know, when you have these conference expansions and you start cherry picking uh, schools from halfway across the country just because of TV rights, this is what you lose out on. You lose out on. Um, Pitt playing a school that is 50 miles down 79 or however far away Morgantown is or, you know, just halfway across the state and, and you lose out on, on some of that rivalry-based vitriol that feels so good to feel that hate, you know? You've got all those siblings. One went to Pitt, one went to Penn State. Those houses divided. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it's really all about. And just watching, you know, Obviously, Ohio State-Michigan is the biggest rivalry in American sports, but uh, to watch that game and watch those guys, you know, chirping in the tuttle, ripping each other's helmets off, there's just a real hate for each other there, and you just don't really see that with any of Pitt's current opponents, Um, but I I do think you did used to see that in in these rivalry games with West Virginia. Is there an ACC team you could see, you know, if we don't get the two that we really want, is there an ACC team you'd like to see us play at the end of every year? I guess a team that, you know, you see the biggest rivalry forming with? I think the most I've seen one with, or I've personally felt it with, has kind of, it's felt like to me Virginia Tech is up there. Yeah. Um, I just really don't like Virginia Tech for some reason. I feel like they don't like us. They don't like Pat and Harduzzi. So that's one I've kind of seen. The series has been fairly competitive. Uh, North Carolina is another one. I really really dislike North Carolina, Mm -hmm. but I, I don't think they feel too much of a way about us um that may be changing with our with our annual overtime game on thursday nights <laughs> that's becoming tradition yeah. um so but I, I think if i had to you know if i had to pick i'd probably say virginia tech the syracuse game is just kind of lame at this point yeah and uh just a, a little cherry on top i think our uh, our followers agree with you guys because the poll uh that we turned out Late last week, uh, about a thousand votes. Fifty-five percent said they'd rather see West Virginia at the end of the season. So, uh, we'd really love to see that come to fruition, wouldn't we? I'd take either of them. That's a tough decision for me. I said West Virginia, but sign me up for Penn State too. I, I want a game that I, I know I will be either the happiest man on earth or the most devastated person on earth afterwards. 
Actually, that's every single week, so who am I kidding? What difference does it make? Yeah. You'd just be sad and full after Thanksgiving. Yeah, I just look forward to it slightly more. Like, eight months out as opposed to seven months out for the rest of them. Well, hopefully, uh, Pitt and the ACC and whoever else can figure it out, but uh, the only rival I'm really worried about from this moment on is those Demon Deacons down in Winston-Salem. And it's got to feel great as Pittsburgh officially clinches the ACC Coastal Division with a 34-13 victory on the road over Wake Forest. Kenny Pickett lit up the Syracuse Orange for 209 yards and four touchdowns as he rounded out one of the most historic regular seasons in the history of Pitt football. Will that, coupled with some surprising results across the country, be enough to help the dominoes fall in Kenny's direction? Guess we're going to find out. This is Heisman Watch. Alright guys, Kenny Pickett made the most of uh, Mark Whipple's clear intention to pad his stats this week. Um, And we saw his Heisman odds move up into about third place on some betting sites. And this of course was aided by uh, the surprise in Ann Arbor, which we'll get to soon. Um, What do you guys make of Kenny's Heisman odds heading into the pivotal ACC championship game in Charlotte? Yeah, uh, after last week, I feel like, or I guess the last few weeks, we felt like you know his his chances were kind of slipping away, but mm-hmm. um, a couple of dominoes fell this week, and uh, according to BetMGM, Bryce Young's the favorite right now at minus 200, CJ Stroud second at plus 450, and Kenny Pickett at plus 1600. Um, looking at different sports books, I know FanDuel has pick it even with Corral and Kenneth Walker and a few other people. Um, Aiden Hutchinson getting his name thrown on that list at plus 2,000 on FanDuel. Um, so obviously you can look all around, but it really does seem like Kenny is is kind of solidifying himself as a guy who's going to get an invite to New York. Yeah. Um, unless, you know, unless Corral uh, somehow sneaks in there, but I, I just really don't see that happening at this point. Um and, you know, Pickett has another game. Stroud does not. Bryce Young has a game that he very much may, very well may lose. Um, I, I still like the, the, the value there at plus 2,000 for Kenny, if you want to throw a couple bucks on it. Before we start complaining about why Kenny should win and how everyone else is inferior to uh, God's gift to the earth, Kenny Pickett, um, we should just take a moment to acknowledge just an invitation to the ceremony would be seismic for pit football. Yeah, I think, we, I think we've been saying that for a while, that we really just want to see him get there. Yes. And now it feels attainable again that he could potentially sneak in as the winner. Um, but just having Pitt represented at the Heisman ceremony, coming off an ACC championship... Uh, yeah. Knock on wood there. But... I mean, that just kind of puts Pitt in the in the forefront of uh, the national spotlight. Um, one of the biggest nights of the year in college football, and to have you know one of our guys profiled uh, really would be just absolutely huge for the program. 
Yeah, getting into the ACC championship is big because he's still playing. C.J. Stroud is going to be sitting at home. Matt Corral is sitting at home. Kenneth Walker is sitting at home. Bryce Young will be playing the SEC championship game against a really good defense, so perhaps he looks bad and they lose. And Kenny Pickett balls out, puts up some more numbers. I don't know. He's in a good spot. The one thing that I think really puts him over the top is this one stat. Uh, he's the only ACC quarterback in history. In history. With 4,000 passing yards, 40 touchdown passes in the first 12 games of the season. In ACC history. Dating back over 50 years. That's some decent quarterbacks in the so, ACC. Just a couple. Give the man his dues. All right, so if we're going to go there, let's get greedy. What needs to happen in your minds in this next week? You have Bryce Young going up against the best defense I think anyone's seen in a couple years. Auburn almost, by the way, threw the knockout blow on his Heisman campaign. And probably should have. Probably should have. He, I think he was in the low 200s. Uh, halfway through the fourth quarter when Auburn was up 10 to nothing uh, on Bryce Young. Yeah, it was a real 180 because they were getting shut out. They were just losing. It looked like the game was over. But in turn, he had what could have been his Heisman moment to keep the season alive where he has a, what, 98-yard game-tying touchdown drive. Mm-hmm. So Two-point conversion to win it. Yeah. Um, I will say he went 25 for 51 passing. Below 50%, yeah. That that right there. I mean, he, he's going to get this Heisman moment credit, but at the same time, that is a that is not a great performance against a, a Auburn team that is not good. That's the thing with any of these guys. Is there a Heisman moment? Like if Bryce Young loses to Georgia, they're ten and two. They lost their biggest game of the year. C.J. Stroud, I don't. What is his Heisman moment? They lost to Michigan pretty handily. Granted, that a lot Mich- of empty stats. That Michigan State game. Yeah, I guess he, he balled out. Kid yeah. balled out and in oh, that whole game. If they would have beaten Michigan, I think that would have been his Heisman moment, but I think in a nationally televised game where there was a lot of eyeballs, I think people saw like, wow, his receivers are kind of open by 10 yards every play. Or if they're not, or if they're not, how many balls did he float like helium balloons in the direction of Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave or uh Jackson Smith and Jigba? Yes, I was knew I was going to stutter over that, so thank you for taking it off my hands. Uh, where they just made a play, like a like a questionable pass, a poorly thrown pass, and and they just made something happen. Not even just like go up and make a good play, like go up and make a NFL like go moss the defensive back one drag a toe as you're falling out of bounds. I mean, his receivers made some great plays, and um, yeah, you don't, you don't have as much as that. For a Kenny Pickett, who, no. who isn't throwing the three future first round NFL receiver, he's just throwing to one future number one overall pick wide receiver, Jordan Addison, friend of the pod, friend of the pod. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I I don't want to say that Stroud is out. Obviously now he's uh, he's second in terms of betting odds, but he would need atrocious performances from both Bryce Young and. Kenny Pickett in order to win that trophy, uh, but let's let's talk about what we need to happen with Bryce Young, going up against Georgia, coming off of a lackluster performance that he was able to redeem last second. 
what would you like to see Jordan Davis and his boys do to this Alabama offense? And what do you think they would need to? What kind of numbers would we need to look at to get Kenny launched to the top? I think if you have a game where Bryce Young goes out, um, maybe only throws a touchdown and you know, turns it over two or three times, maybe you know, stat line with under 300 yards, touchdown, two picks, and Bama really doesn't look great offensively. I mean, I don't expect anyone to look great offensively against this Georgia defense, but, you know, they're held to, you know, 17 points, and they lose on national TV, and Kenny Pickett comes out and balls uh, in the ACC championship. You know, I think, like we were saying, it doesn't feel like anyone really has a Heisman moment, and I think something like that, where it's the last week of the season, and that recency bias, the most recent game in your head is a guy just went out and, you know, kind of laid an egg in his conference championship game. I, I do think that could drop him out of, out of the winner's circle. Um, right now, you know, I wouldn't bet against it, but, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say, you know, it's locked up and, you know, pick it should play for second. No, yeah, I, I agree. Totally. Or Jordan Davis just falls on top of him and breaks him. I think that's also <laughs> a realistic possibility. Yeah, I, th- I think that man could uh, could break just about anybody with his own body weight. Um, but, I mean, speaking of defensive guys, I, I don't think we should count out Aiden Hutchinson just yet. I'm a huge fan of Aiden Hutchinson. I think he's phenomenal. I've been waiting for a defensive player to win this award for years. But if it happens when Kenny Pickett is in the running, long swim in the Ohio River. Uh, but, no, I... I don't want to discount him yet because Heisman voters have recency bias, I think, worse than any collection of people in the entire world. And he he kind of planted himself as a possible trendy pick with his three sacks in a massive, massive, massive program win for the University of Michigan. I was kind of striking off the thought of him getting votes for the Heisman up until the Penn State week when I actually watched like the whole game. And he was up Sean Clifford's ass the entire game, it seemed like. Um, and then, yeah, he, he just keeps doing it. So he's a beast. He's going to be a top pick. Give him some votes. Let's knock him down, I see. How about that? Yeah, I, I, I do worry, though, that if he gets Spencer Petros on the ground a couple times, he could steal a couple votes. But yeah, that Michigan defense holds Iowa to, like, 74 total yards. I could absolutely see that happening. Absolutely, yeah, which might be a possibility given their offensive efficiency. But I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, and I have no statistic or or even anecdotal history to back this up, but you would think that voters would more or less skew towards their uh, their conference backgrounds, and I'm just hoping if he does steal a couple votes, it's from C.J. Stroud. The thing with C.J. Stroud... We said his Heisman moment, that Michigan State game. That'd be like a month in the past from the time like the ceremony happens. And since then, he's lost and been sitting on the couch. I don't think Stroud can win it. I'm, yeah. yeah, I think at this point, it's out the window for him. He, they lost the Michigan game. Um, he, he's definitely behind Bryce Young at this point. So I don't think anything is going to propel him to be the winner. I agree. And, and going furthermore... I think we're going to know if Kenny Pickett has a shot at the Heisman before that game starts because 
Bryce Young is either going to beat Georgia, at which point you can... I'd concede it. If he puts up big numbers against uh, Georgia defense, not I'll even wave if he, the white flag. Not even if he puts up big yeah. numbers. If they win that game, yeah. put the Heisman in a box, ship it to Tuscaloosa. If he gets his ass handed to him, we are a, a uh, Kenny Pickett defining moment in Charlotte away from a very contentious Heisman ceremony. Let's give Kenny the ball back in a 45-45 to game with a minute 30 left on the clock. March down, throws his sixth touchdown pass of the game to uh, Jordan Addison to win it. I can see it now. You sound like you've, you've dreamt about this one too many times. There's no such thing as too many times dreaming of Pickett winning the Heisman. Pickett to throw. Looking downfield. Fritz! Touchdown! Perfect missile from Pickett! It has been an eventful 48 hours in the college football world, to say the least, uh, with playoff darlings falling, coaches switching schools, uh, the transfer portal blowing up, and a playoff picture that no one saw coming taking form. So uh, we wanted to take a couple minutes to step away from Pitt. Just kidding, we will absolutely cover how the implications of all of this for the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, but to take a look at you know the, the broader picture of college football this season. So uh, let's talk about the, the slate this weekend. What, what games really stuck out to you guys? Michigan-Ohio State was the big one. Yep. Um, you know, big upset and has finally opened the doors for someone other than Ohio State to make it to the playoff uh, out of the Big Ten. And, you know, unless something goofy happens in the Big Ten Championship, Michigan to make their first playoff appearance. Um, that was the big one for me. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, the absolute uh, just bananas down in Bedlam. And... Uh, apparently, Lincoln Riley's last game. <laughs> yeah. That was the one that I was most curious about. I wanted Oklahoma State to be good enough to be in the playoff, but I wasn't sure if they were, and beating Oklahoma kind of solidified that in my mind. As they deserve it. I mean, as, as fluky a win as it was, it's still a top 12 win. Yeah, it will put them in a spot to where if they win this Big 12 championship... Um, Things could get really interesting if Bama wins, beats Georgia next week, um, because then the conversation obviously becomes Cincinnati or Oklahoma State. Um, I would like to see, personally, I'd like to see Bama go down. I'm, I'm sick of seeing them in it, um, and I think that would make the, the top four pretty clear and concise uh, for the committee. That's what we were worried about probably about a month ago, because the season started out very wild, very unpredictable. Uh, all these possibilities for the playoff were out there. And then before you knew it, it was back to, oh, man, reading another Bama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, or Oregon. <laughs> we were back to that. Another It looked like it, was, it threatened. But now with Ohio State going down, Bama looking beatable. I guess Cincinnati's in the playoff now, so I'm not going to rule out the committee doing something crazy, but... I don't know how you can justify that at this point, even if you're a non-Power 5 hater. 
Yeah, so uh, we want to stress that this was recorded before uh, the release of the college football playoff rankings, so the committee could very well make us look like <laughs> assholes. But what it is really looking like now is that we're going to get, you know, if, if we go all chalk championship weekend, we're going to get Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State, which I wouldn't have believed you if you told me Oklahoma State was going to sneak in like a week ago. Right. I, I didn't even know Oklahoma State was a one-loss team until a few weeks ago, and I was like, oh, I'm sure they'll drop one. It's, it's Oklahoma State. They're not going to make the playoff. That would be crazy. I specifically remember, this is probably before the playoff rankings even came out, I noticed that Oklahoma was ranked like 10th. Like, oh, they must have one loss. I haven't really been paying attention. Oh, they're undefeated still? That's weird. Yeah. And they were just kind of like lurking. And doing it by playing defense. Yeah. Under Mike Gundy somehow. And snuck in the back door. So the we finally might be getting the chaotic playoff that we've all been praying for. Uh, and and that, is, that is absolutely a thing of beauty. Um, but it's not the only chaos that has... Uh, has wrought college football in the last 48 hours. Uh, Lincoln Riley got bought away from perennial playoff contender Oklahoma to go to the University of Southern California as of Monday this morning. I think the initial reaction was Oklahoma fans losing their minds, feeling betrayed. They probably think leaving for a lesser job, uh, abandoning them as they're going to the SEC. But now that some of the details are being leaked, I don't know how you blame Lincoln Riley. That was a easy decision. They probably called him up, uh, read off some numbers and some other bonuses and perks and all that, and he said, give me 15 minutes, my bags will be packed. I'm out of here. Yeah, I think Lincoln Riley was staring down a, a, a future potential SEC slate and said, uh, you know, I could probably just beat Oregon once a year and do this and get play, play in the playoff every year moving forward. That was, um, you know, maybe just a little bit of karma for Oklahoma for, uh, you know. Leaving the Big get, 12 high and dry. Leaving the Big 12, getting in the bed with Texas and heading over to the SEC. Uh, maybe uh, it serves them right. Uh, yeah, apparently he was not a fan of the move to the SEC. And that it was pretty much done... I don't know if necessarily against his wishes, but certainly over his head. Seems like someone I would uh, want to consult when, when making my move. Yeah, absolutely. So, Dylan, you mentioned uh, the rumored offer sheet from uh, USC. Can we can we go over that a little bit? Because it is somehow it somehow exceeded my wildest expectations. Yeah, this is what, I, I don't know how well confirmed this is, um, but it's floating around Twitter right now. If it gets proven false... Spare me. Uh, you'll, you'll live. But uh, So Lincoln Riley, USC contract details. Not confirmed, but best I could do. From uh, at Robert Hefner V. wonder if he's ever been to the Playboy Mansion. Uh, $110 million. Uh-huh. Not a bad start. USC buying both his homes in Norman for $500,000 over asking. It's a $1 million bonus. Buying a $6 million home in L.A. for him. Unlimited use of the private jet 24-7 for his family. Hashtag Sooners, hashtag Trojans. Hmm. So, uh, real quick, one-round draft. What is your favorite caveat of the Lincoln-Riley signing? 
I think it's the fact that they're buying both of his homes in Norman, not just one of them, for 500000 over asking price. Turns out uh, he was actually just finishing building his new house in Norman, and they were moving into it uh, when, when they got the call from USC. Uh-huh. It must have been real tough to leave that house in uh, Norman, Oklahoma behind. So what about you, John? <laughs> I just think this is all so funny that there's... I imagine just calling up the rich boosters out in L.A. saying, hey, you mind doing this for the new coach? And they're like, yeah, no problem. Let me grab my checkbook. What do you think we did for Narduzzi when we hired him? We're not buying him a $6 million house. Are there $6 million houses here? Grab Swickley. Grab a nice little house in Swickley. (laughs) Gibsonia. I don't know. I'm interested to find out where Narduzzi lives after this. Quick guesses. Where's Narduzzi live? Swickly. You mean after his 25 more years at Pitt as the head coach? Yeah. He's going up to Rhode Island to his roots. <laughs> Narduzzi lives in the facility. Lives in the film room. Oh, Football absolutely. Guy. Absolutely. I think my favorite part of it is is the potential for an, the first $10 million plus per year contract, but uh, also all of the Oklahoma fans on Twitter that were trying to tell themselves that because of taxes and cost of living, Norman, Oklahoma is a more desirable place to live than Malibu. Yeah, I mean, keep keep dreaming. That is delusion. He can take his private jet to Norman every weekend if he wants to. Yeah. If he misses it that much. Which he has access to. Yeah. 24-7. So obviously the the implications of this are massive. USC just overnight went to a uh, a college football power, um, likely going to steal a lot of Southern California recruits uh, that Oklahoma had signed and and just go back. It's I, I'm cool with it because it it that power is being shifted a little bit farther away from the Pitt Panthers. But uh, there's there's been a lot of moves today that that might trickle back to us um uh spencer rattler the snake man transfer portal jack miller quarterback out of uh ohio state four-star transfer portal a lot of speculation that kyle mccord is going to go to the transfer portal aj davis definitely equal with the last three names Mm -hmm. i just said going to james madison so that you know there's a with with how dense the quarterback room of the transfer portal is going to be there's that definitely increases the odds that, that Pitt could fall on somebody. I don't know how much the coaches trust Patty. I think we'd be okay with him. I don't know if they like him more than some of the options out there, but if you're Pitt, you got to at least swing for the fences. Go for one of the big boys, and if it doesn't pan out, hey, we got Patty, Bevel, Yarnell, whoever. Yeah, I mean, the coaches have to have who have to know who they have at this point. To where um, they have to be either really comfortable with saying this guy can step in next year, and you know I don't, I don't think there's anything that can that you can really point to and say, oh yeah, the coaches trust Nick Patty to take the reins and keep this this train rolling next year. Go try to get the biggest, uh, best quarterback you can get in the transfer portal. Bring him in, even if it's for competition. And if Nick Patty or Davis Bevel beats him out in camp next year, so be it. Um, but. Yeah, the pit will never have an opportunity, will never be as attractive as a destination for a transfer quarterback. So, I'm in. I I do. 
uh, without any inside information, I truly believe they'll go and get somebody. Uh, might not be any of the names we've mentioned so far. You don't. You don't want Spencer Rattler. Um. No. No. <laughs> no. No. I don't want the Snake Man. Um, he can go. Him and Tate Martell can share snaps at UNLV for exactly. all I care. Yeah, uh, but you know, whatever, whatever the direction they go, I do think they'll try to get a transfer to come in, and uh, it'll be interesting. It's going to be an exciting offseason. I it's, oh certainly, it's I'm already looking forward to. Still, still a lot of unanswered in the coaching carousel. Uh, I think tonight I'm going to have a nightmare about um, Mario Cristobal getting fed up at the idea of having to play Lincoln Riley's USC every year and going to Miami. Uh, I think that's the worst case of all of this for Pitt. Blaine Kiffin to Miami, too. Miami's going to toss some money at somebody. Um, I really hope they swing and miss on maybe their first two choices and have to get a Manny Diaz 2.0. Well, they haven't even fired Manny Diaz yet. They might be stuck with him. because They don't have an AD. They're going to bring in a new AD and see what he thinks about Manny Diaz. And by then... All of the money will have been spent. All of the decent candidates would have been uh, sorted out to their new homes. So, I heard, I heard they're just going to hire Justin Fuente. <laughs> and Diaz is going to Virginia Tech. They're just going to swap. <laughs> okay. What's the problem? No that problem still problem. doesn't uh, change the fact that Narduzzi's getting looked at by LSU right now, probably. I have to imagine that uh, Lincoln Riley is only going to South California because because uh, Narduzzi said no. I'm happy up here. I don't need your private jet. He doesn't strike me as a private jet guy. Narduzzi absolutely wants to fly coach. It's a football guy thing to do. Builds character. Feels great. One point in this game, Pitt was 0 for 4 on third downs. They're 6 of their last 9, make it 7 of 10. It's downfield to Mack, and he will not be tackled. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. On a third and 10, it's a 63-yard catch and run. Please welcome onto the podcast the executive assistant athletic director of the University of Pittsburgh Athletics Department, E.J. Brighetti. E.J., how are you doing today? I am doing great. It is an honor to be with you, uh, all loyal sons that we are, and greatly appreciate the invite and talk a little Panthers this evening. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you. The, the pleasure is all ours. We appreciate you coming on. Um, we actually had the opportunity to meet you and get connected with you uh, when we were setting up that great interview with Jordan Addison. We, uh, we appreciate all your help with that, and uh, we're, we're happy that it also led to this as well. Well, I was honored to set that up. You know, Jordan is not only doing uh, exceptional things on the field, but he's just tremendous off the field as well. Thank you for promoting uh, the great things that he's doing off the field. And, uh, you know, I think that's why I'm so gratified by what I do by a for a living, because um, I I've, I've loved Pitt all my life. I've always been passionate about it. Um, being able to work on behalf of great Pitt people like Jordan and others uh, is, is really, really rewarding. And it's something that, I'm, you know, I, I'm proud to be able to represent uh, young men and, and young women we have in our athletic program. So it was just as rewarding for me as it was for you. And I thought the interview just worked out great. Absolutely. And uh, immediately after the interview, he goes out against the University of Virginia 
14 catches over 200 yards, four touchdowns. Do you think there's like some sort of uh, fortune that we're giving off? And if so, uh, are you just going to be throwing pit athletes at us from now on? Hey, I was just about to say coincidence. I think not. Uh, you know, I, I fully expect that when we're done with this podcast, that I'm going to go out and hit the lotto or something because it's just kind of the magic <laughs> that this has. But it's, it, you know, uh, it was, you know, how fitting was it, though? I mean, I, I was glad he got to be able to get together with you and talk about some of the things he's doing off the field as well. And then he goes on the field uh, on that Saturday and has truly a historic performance in, at yeah. the time, what was our biggest game. So uh, that's really, really exciting. And I know he's got a few more big performances in him before this season is done. Oh, most certainly. Most certainly. Yeah, and a lot of people are saying that that game there kind of sealed the deal for the Bolitnikov. Hopefully, it's not out yet, but uh, in our humble opinions, he should be the front runner. How big has it been for Pitt this year to have these big-name guys being up for awards and even the national spotlight? That's not something we're used to all the time. Uh, it's been tremendous. And it's, it is very, very rewarding for everybody. And I will say, you know, from our communication staff, and I, I have to tell you, I, I work very closely, a, a really good friend and a guy who I am in close contact with every day. You know, I, we call each other, uh, each other's, we're, we're co-pilots uh, at the front of the plane. My colleague, RJ Seppich, Pitt grad, uh, 2014 Pitt grad. And uh, he's been back at Pitt working uh, side by side with me for, Oh gosh, he came back in 2016 and we talk about a lot of work this year, but a lot of work that we welcome. There is nothing worse than you are when you work in communications or you're, you're a publicist and um, the inbox is empty. Uh, your emails go unreturned. Your phone calls go unreturned if your cell's not going off. Um, there's been a lot of traffic <laughs> this year. And that's why you get into this business and profession. And that's what you like. That means business is good. So, uh, yeah, we have some of the very, very best at their respective positions. And uh, Kenny Pickett, who I believe is the best quarterback in the country, and Jordan Addison, who I firmly believe is the best wide receiver in the country. In fact, I'll go and say that we have the best quarterback wide receiver duo in all of college football. And that's very, very exciting and very, very gratifying and something that, um, again, we've had some quiet Decembers from time to time. We have a very, very, very busy December, and I uh, wouldn't have it any other way. Definitely. And uh, obviously with Kenny, you know, having the absolutely insane year that he's had, the numbers he's putting up, um, you know, a lot of I think a lot of Pitt fans are, are rallying around him, you know, voting for him on the Heisman House, trying to get him an extra vote. Um, but keep, what it would up, it, keep it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what would it really mean um, for just the visibility of the Pitt program for Kenny to even get an invite to New York City for the Heisman ceremony? Well, it would be huge. Uh, I mean, you know, for those who remember when uh, Larry Fitzgerald made his way to New York, uh, it, it was huge exposure for the program, uh, for sure. And, you know, I'll tell you something, you know, during the course of the summer months, we all have to submit our goals for the year. And annually, uh, one of the goals that I submit is um, that, you know, it is my goal and uh, our communication staff's goal that we will have a player in New York City in December for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I put that every year. I will continue to always put that every year um, because that's something that is, you know, it serves as a catalyst and galvanizes. I mean, you know, I'm old enough. My first pick football game um, was in 1976. I don't remember anything about it, just maybe some broad bursting images, but, you know, that was back when, um, and I still call him Dorset, Dorset, but it's Dorset, of course. 
but when he was at Pitt, he was Tony Dorsett. And uh, I remember the excitement. Um, I don't have any specific recollections of him from that day, but then that kind of fueled my love for Pitt football. And that run, that 76 season, his Heisman Trophy run, um, lifted Pitt and frankly, in many respects, even lifted the University of Pittsburgh. When you have different um, segments of the university compete and succeed and achieve at a national or international level, all boats rise. Football is obviously a very visible sport at the University of Pittsburgh. I think it would be huge, obviously, for Kenny uh, uh, on an individual level. I think it would obviously be tremendous from our football uh, program standpoint and its profile and what it signals to the rest of the country. But I think it opens a huge door for people to take a look at the University of Pittsburgh and what an outstanding institution we are. So, I will always do this. So long as I'm serving in this capacity, I will always have that as a goal is that we want to be able to help promote, beat the drum, get on the megaphone uh, for um, a player who could win the highest honors uh, in college football, the Heisman, the Blitnikoff, all America honors, the Outland and so forth. And every day when I'm in the office, you know, I walk down the hallway and we've got um, all of the photos of our first team, all Americans. And in our upper uh, lobby, uh, which was recently refurbished, it has all of the individual honors we have, whether it was stuff won by Larry Fitzgerald, Antonio Bryant, um, Tony Dorsett, Hugh Green, Larry Fitzgerald, Aaron Donald, again, they're, they're all there. And I can't help but walk past all of those. And uh, I feel prideful about pit football. And I also feel motivated that, uh, make no mistake, these awards are won on the field and between the hash marks. But our communication staff wants to make sure that we are doing everything possible to help them get there. And um, RJ and I are, are very passionate about it. As I said, he's, he's a pit person too. Uh, it's important to us. We're not hired guns, um, but we're passionate about it because we want to do, our players work hard every day. We want to work even harder than they do uh, to make sure that the spotlight gets on them. And um, whatever we can do to help that cause, we want to do. So Kenny getting to New York would be, absolutely huge um i firmly believe just like i did you know i was in fifth grade when hugh green was a finalist for the heisman trophy i believe he was the best player in the country uh had the opportunity to be working for the university in 03 uh, uh when larry made his run and i firmly believe he was the best player in the country that year as well so as i sit here right now and i see as i see kenny's jersey behind you dylan i'm like i believe he is not only the best quarterback in the country but i believe he's the best player in the country as well um Here's hoping that uh, he is recognized as such when, when this is all said and done. But regardless what happens, he has made us all incredibly proud. And he has represented us not only well on the field, but he's just an extraordinary leader, an extraordinary young man off it as well. I think you only have to look at his NIL initiatives to, uh, to get an indication of that. Whereas every, you know, there was a great number of people when NI, the NIL doors opened up this summer who are, and good for them, you know, getting extra compensation for themselves maybe a car, this and that, that's great. You know, that, uh, absolutely. That, that's wonderful. But I do think it speaks volumes about Kenny that he comes out of the, you know, the gates with his first NIL deal and what is hogs dinner benefit his teammates. Um, Football that's, guy. Type of, that's right. That's the type of guy he is, man. And uh, again, he represents pit football. Great. But he represents this overall institution greatly as well. Long winded answer, my man, but I'm, I'm passionate <laughs> about it and excited about it. It's, it's hard to be quiet about something when you're proud of it. And, um, you know, so here's to the next chapter. And we're hoping there are certainly some exciting chapters still to be written before this year is out. Certainly, certainly. Uh, so so you mentioned NIL deals, um, which is, you know, the 
big shiny new thing in college athletics this year. Uh, could you give us a little bit of a background on not just your position, uh, but how NIL has shaped it a little bit this year and has altered the complexion of it? Yeah, you know, working in communications, only slightly, you know, NIL uh, from an athletic administration standpoint is particularly impactful uh, on our rules and compliance office. Uh, they still obviously have an oversight uh, of all of those agreements that, that take place. Not as much for me. Um, obviously, Kenny Pickett has some, some great independent uh, media agreements that he does, uh, which I think is tremendous. Um, wh whatever can shine a spotlight and uh, provide more exposure for Pitt in this marketplace and beyond, uh, I certainly am in support of. Not surprisingly, he's done great both of those. Obviously, he does the annual uh, or the uh, weekly uh, interview with Chris Peak, uh, which is certainly uh, must-see viewing. If, if you don't do that on a weekly basis, it's really, really good. And then he's on with um, Chris Muller and Andrew Filipponi on the fan during afternoon drive. Again, I think that's important as well, uh, reaching a larger audience, not necessarily a pit-centric audience all the time, but hey, somebody's in their car, they hear Kenny on during an afternoon drive. They say, hey, this guy's, this guy's got it together. He's a heck of a player too. I want to come out and take my kids to a pit football game, right? Um, so, you know, those are independent things. Um, I told Kenny during the summer when we were uh, at ACC kickoff, I'm like, Hey, I understand you have these things potentially in the mix. If they come to fruition, I know you're more than ready to handle them and, and you'll be exceptional. And if I can be of assistance standing in the wings, you can always count on me. But uh, frankly, there's nobody uh, who uh, we would trust more to be able to handle those uh, in good times, bad times, victory or defeat. And uh, he's just been great under all of those circumstances. The great thing is, uh, we've won 10 games. So there's been a lot of cool things to talk about as opposed to maybe just having to uh, analyze loss. He's a hot commodity. That's for sure. Sure is. I can tell you that, man. I mean, we, you know, he could do, he could do interviews all day, every day. And he's taken on a lot this season, uh, but he's handled it like a pro. Uh, I've made the observation to somebody the other day. I mean, he handles all this stuff like number seven does next door in terms of uh, his composure, his professionalism, his insight, and being able to compartmentalize, manage it all, football, academics, personal life, and that. So he's a pro. True pit man. You've been around the program for a long time. From the outside looking in, we think the program's in a really good spot. Obviously, we have 10 wins and all these accolades left and right. What is something that the university has really improved on now compared to maybe wasn't as strong whenever you started here? Well, you know, when I started officially, formally as a full-time employee, not as, you know, during my undergrad internship days, it was, it was the summer of 97 and we were just coming off of a rather difficult four and seven year um, before I arrived. That was the unfortunate 1996 season when, um, you know, let's just say we, we had more than a few outings where we got, you know, we're on the really wrong side of some bad scores. So it was a ground zero uh, for certain, but I do think uh, at that particular juncture, there was an overall institutional commitment that athletics is a priority. Um, we want to compete uh, and win uh, at the highest levels. And the good thing is from, I really do think that in 97, we started at ground zero, but I do think over the, my goodness, you know, 24 years. Um, have there been some ebbs and flows? There certainly have been. Um, 
not every season's been a good one. Um, we've had uh, some great moments. We've had some challenging moments as well. But I have never, ever uh, thought during all that time that there was an institutional commitment towards pit athletics um, being great and achieving. Um, perhaps that's not always evident from the outside. Uh, but I will say this, um, you know, Pitt is my school. Um, if I ever believed uh, that we weren't committing to uh, achieving at the highest levels and achieving while doing things the right way, um, then I would probably come home uh, to my wife, who's also a Pitt grad, and say, you know what, uh, what I thought I was working on behalf of, you know, I haven't been, and I don't think I'd be able to do that. But there's a very strong commitment. And I will say, particularly in, you know, um, you know if you're looking at it, uh, years of more recent vintage, um, you know, I think about Pat Narduzzi. Uh, everybody thinks, oh, hey, everything is great. 10 wins isn't this fantastic. But I'll tell you what, I, I had faith and belief and knew we were going in the right direction, even when we didn't have 10 wins. Um, I look at that difficult five and seven year when we beat Miami to close the year. But, I, you know, my belief in what was being done in the blueprint that was being molded and shaped, I believed in it the whole time. Um, just because you lose on a Saturday doesn't mean you're doing things the wrong way. Uh, just because maybe you have a subpar year, that doesn't mean the strength and foundation of your program isn't there. Um, I think we've got some great roots and some a great foundation in that program uh, and in many others. And uh, we're here to win. Uh, we're here to win the right way, but we are here to achieve and win. And uh, everybody who cares about pitch should feel really, really good about that. Absolutely. And, you know, Obviously, along with the the winning helps build build a reputation and uh, definitely probably the most important part. But Pitt's done a lot recently with, you know, trying to really brand themselves, change the brand with the script and the change of the colors and everything that came with it. Um, what's next for Pitt? What, what, what else is with this rising profile that's coming along? What's next for what's the next step for them to take? Well, I, you know, I know there's always a lot of discussion about branding and colors and the script Pitt. And by the way, I love all that stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm a traditionalist at heart. So I love that blue and gold. I love the script pit. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, probably we as fans, as pit people, as alums, as supporters, I think that um, we really need to be primarily focused on not just the uniforms, not just the colors, but the young men and women who are wearing those uniforms and uh, what they're achieving, what they strive to achieve, you know, every day every season, every year uh, during their careers. So what is next for Pitt? You know, I, I thought this from the very beginning. I remember when I interviewed um, for my job, you know, back in the summer of 97, and I got the cliche question, where do you want to be in five years? And I said, I want to be uh, promoting a Final Four basketball team because it was for uh, to work with the men's basketball team. And the other part of the job was to work with football. So I want to work for, a, a, you know, I want to be promoting a, a football program that's a you know, striving and achieving New Year's Day bowls. And, um, you know, I feel the same way today, uh, but I would expand that answer across 19 sports. You know, um, what's next for Pitt? Uh, continued effort at being the very, very best of what we do, um, winning championships, graduating our student athletes. I realize there may be some cynics out there that bristle at that kind of thing, but it is vitally, vitally important. You know, if your young men and women aren't graduating and getting worthwhile degrees and going on post pit to 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 have um, uh, accomplished lives, meaningful lives, then you have failed. You have absolutely failed. Again, the Twitterverse, maybe message boards, they they may uh, scoff at that. I get it. I understand. You know, it's a cynical world, but working um, for this institution and caring about this institution, I can assure you that is the mission. 
that is a very, very important value. And that's what we're trying to do. So what's next for Pitt? We are on the rise. We need to continue rising uh, because I don't think our best days are here yet. Um, We talk about the golden era of um, uh, Marino and so forth. And you can pick any of our sports and say, well, that was a golden era. Well, hey, that's a golden era. You know, I think in many respects, we're living through a golden era right now. But the best part is, I think that the best is yet to come. I think the best is yet to come. So looking into the crystal ball, that's what I see. I think our, our best days are ahead. You mentioned the message boards. Do you ever uh, find yourself peeking at the Panther lair? All the time. All the time. All oh, the time that's I dangerous. <laughs> you know what it is? It, 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 but you know what? I'm going to tell you. You know why? Because I am at heart. Uh, I am at heart a fan. I, I grew up a Pitt fan. I remain a Pitt fan today. Um, I think in my capacity, uh, it is very, very important to not be tunnel visioned. I think you have to have a, you know, your, your view has to be wide and far and you have to make sure you know what the pulse of the public is. Um, I don't think there's, you know, one singular pulse of the public. I think there are many pulses. Um, I do think that what goes on in Panther Lair and what may go on in the Twitterverse and, you know, in some Facebook forums, I think that those all kind of give you a picture of maybe what people are thinking. Um, and again, particularly when you work in communications, I think you have to, to be tuned into that. Um, and by the way, um, I think I welcome most, you know, particularly, and I'll ask Chris this from time to time, you know, if somebody's particularly critical or cynical about something. Um, and I'm like, you know what? They got a point. I want to talk to those people. <laughs> I do. I want to hear from them. Um, you can't shy away from criticism. Uh, you can't shy away from um, maybe some critiques and that, that, that may be difficult for you to hear. But I, I think, you know, particularly in my role, I think you have a responsibility to seek those out, listen, and then um, respond to it, you know? And uh, so, and, you know, I've made some really good friends along the years through those types of interactions. I really have, like some people who may have been critical in an online forum, and I've, I've asked to reach out to them and make contact. And geez, you know, so many of those folks, you know, we do regular breakfast, or I get text, or I'll call them and use them as a sounding board. Hey, what do you think? So I think that's important. You have to be engaged. You have to be engaged. And um, uh, I said this, you know, uh, pit people are very diversely talented. We've got a great university and we have good people who go off and do so many tremendous things in the world. How can you not tap into them as a resource? How could you not want to use their, you know, their vantage point, their talents, um, their advice and counsel. So uh, I think that's a really, really gratifying thing about being at a university like this. I, I think that's really cool. I am, I am a little bit worried that you might've, uh, greenlit some weirdos on the panther lair that now think that they have the athletic department's ear so that might be a little bit more of a interesting environment for us uh leading <laughs> up to the game but i, I do i think it's great that you have that attitude towards um a a pit version of the internet and honestly you know the the local media that that do cover pit uh you have a more optimistic outlook on that than i think the rest of us do well dave let me say this you know if anybody ever wants to reach out to me they don't have to post something on the message board or anything like that they can just hit me up my email is on the on the um, website and i welcome it uh it's one of the most rewarding things uh that's part of my job uh i somebody's always said uh, you know hey what do you like most about your job i'm like it's the relationships it's the relationships with the student athletes with my fellow co-workers the coaches and it's a relationship with pit people. So if anybody ever has anything they want to share, hit me up. Um, I'd love to hear from you. And, um, you know, I, I try to absolutely positively respond to every email or text or 
you know, I miss my DM sometimes. So if I'm a little late on that, I apologize, but um, I welcome it. And, 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 you know, Hey, pit people are a prideful group. Um, uh, and we have to be unified. We have to be together. Uh, I think that's how we'll accomplish uh, uh, everything that we're capable of accomplishing. So I, I welcome the, uh, the input and the outreach. Brace yourself. You might have 50 on-campus stadium emails on Monday. <laughs> well, you know, I had 49 the other day. So, you know, <laughs> that'd only be one more than I usually get. <laughs> well, you know, let us, let us know how the plans for that are coming along. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will. You know what we'll do? We'll unveil plans on this podcast. How about that, man? Exclusive scoop. That would be here first. That would be the exclusive <laughs> scoop of the century for the loyal <laughs> uh, So we're, we're going to hold you to that whenever they tear down the peat and uh, resurrect Pitt Stadium from, uh, from the ash heap. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we want to let you go to be sensitive of your time, but uh, we, we love talking to you. Um, some, some really really great conversation here and we'd love to have you back on sometime because I, I think we have a lot of questions uh there's a lot of facets to your job and uh there's a lot of pit sports uh that that you know we Absolutely. want to look into especially with women's volleyball thriving soccer yeah. thriving um the 10 win uh pit football panthers and and you know um the um growth future growth of the basketball team as well yeah. um well, let me tell you this, man. I'd, lo- I'll come on. I'd love to come on again. I'd, I'd be honored. I really appreciate you having me on because there's nothing better than getting with pit people and talking about pit. Um, you know, on that moment, let's make, we're always looking to the future, right? That's cool, but let's not miss the present. And, you know, I think about this past weekend where we had a, uh, here, I'll use a, a, an SAT word, a confluence of great events here this past Sunday. Of, hey, look at this guy. What are you doing, man? Come on over here. Can you say hello? You're not going to say hello? <laughs> See, my boy here. Then I'll, I'll, this is my guy, Connor. And up, Connor, Connor, who, Hi, Connor, he was a surprise guy. You know, he, oh, you're going to wave now? Are you going to wave? Can you say hello? Connor spelled C-O-N-N-E-R after James. Connor. You're Connor. You're named after James Connor, aren't you? And... Um, after he was born Penn State weekend in 2017 and uh, the good folks at college game day, which was so neat of them. Reese Davis actually, you know, before this guy even had a tackle or a, or a catch, he announced his birth on college game day. And I'll never forget. Um, I was driving to Penn State and a little while later, I got a call from Hugh Green, who I've become very close with over the years, one of my childhood heroes. And I didn't even get a chance to say hello. I saw Hugh. I'm like, oh, he wants to talk about the game. And I went, huh? And he says, you named your son after a damn running back? <laughs> and uh, true story, pretty cool moment too, both of those things. But, um, but anyway, before I go, I want to mention, let's savor what's going on right now. You know, this past weekend, we had football getting 10 wins for the first time since I was in damn sixth grade, right? Um, men's soccer uh, making its way into the NCAAs volleyball you know soccer and volleyball they got a chance to uh, to, to win national titles um that's exciting man and i'll tell you what you rewind you know a few years ago you're like get the hell out of here there's no way that's going to happen never doubt the resolve of pit people in any endeavor you know whether it's in the sciences philosophy 
broadcasting. Lewis Riddick uh, actually did an interview with uh, Kenny Pickett this week, and which was just so cool to see those pit guys talking, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I love talking to you guys. Thanks for this is probably the most unconventional interview you've ever done because I've got, you know, my kid here. He wants fruit cups. You know, I'm rambling on. And um, but I'd, I'd be thrilled to come back and, and do it again. And uh, let's savor what's going on. Uh, let's anticipate the future, but enjoy what's happening now. Let's enjoy that ride. And um, damn it, let's go get a win in, in Charlotte on Saturday night. You've just about got me ready to run through a wall. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, your fruit cup, buddy. There you go. <laughs> hey, the loyal sons. We are making loyal sons history there, aren't we? Brandon, my other son. Thanks for keeping Connor in the other room, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> you, you messed up on that assignment. Hey, Connor was a welcome guest because we yeah. got a great, great story out of it, and we got we got him showing us his fruit cup. That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, EJ, I just want to thank you personally. I mean, David already thanked you on behalf of all of us, but it's great having you on. Uh, hey. Anytime we can meet up with with other. Pit, pit grass, pit people. Um, it's a great, great experience. It is. Hey, I look forward to hopefully seeing you guys in person at some point, and uh, I'd love to come back on again. And then, you know what? Maybe we'll just get the whole Borghetti clan in front of the screen too. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> Let's do <laughs> it. The merrier. <laughs> all right, guys. Hey, honor to do it. Hail to pit. Hail to pit. Every little son. Let's go get them. Thank you all. Hail to pit. Hail to pit. Hail to pit. Pick it. Throws it back. It's the offensive lineman Bryce Hargrove into the end zone. Make it. That's Stefano Millen. Stefano Millen into the end zone for Pittsburgh. The left tackle. They throw it back to him. Something they did many times with Brian O'Neill over the last several years. Please welcome on to the Loyal Sons, representing the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, is Connor O'Neill, the publisher for Deacons Illustrated, which is uh, the Wake Forest equivalent of the Panther Lair. That is their uh, rival syndicate. Um, Connor, how are you doing today? I'm good. I, I like uh, I like the use of syndicate there. It reminds me of uh, the Assassin's Creed game. <laughs> yeah I, I did want to make it sound a little bit sinister as you know you are now our biggest <laughs> matchup of the year um how do you feel about you know representing the demon deacons on the the loyal sons and and kind of the uh the implications of of the now lightning rod status that you have taken on <laughs> well there's three of you and one of me so you know i'm, I'm just hoping to hold my own you know i I don't think I've ever really technically been in a fight, but you know, you guys are, you guys are what four states away, and my mom's from Pittsburgh, so that should count Whoa. for something, right? You oh, guys yeah. gotta, oh. you guys gotta keep it in, keep it in the family here. That that does that does get you a couple points. Uh, we've had a couple other guys on this year that were able to uh, to kind of duck a couple bullets because they brought up the Steelers and and like the North Shore enough that uh, that it it. it cooled the savage beast so we won't gang up on you too much uh out of respect for your mom but we will we we do want to lead off with with something that could potentially get a little bit contentious it kind of depends on uh where you fall on this this side of the the die um you are both a voter for the heisman and the bolitnikoff awards correct i am i am are you at liberty at this time to discuss where you are leaning on either of those awards? So one of them, yes. And one of them, no. Uh, the Heisman, 
is probably the most serious voting process that I know of. And that includes like elections. Like they send you these <laughs> all caps, uh, subject line emails. Uh, you have to go through Delawite is the, is the voting, the, the gathering tool for Heisman votes. It's, it's kind of intimidating. Like I've been a voter for, uh, I think this will be my fourth time around and, and it is, it's kind of humbling and intimidating. So I don't want to jeopardize it. I don't want to say anything out of order. I will talk about the Bolitnikoff and uh, maybe if I had voted differently, I would not want to talk about it, but I did vote for Jordan Addison to win the Bolitnikoff. Let's uh, go. I okay. I don't think that has come out yet. Right. I think we're just in the three finalists phase. Like I think voting closes tomorrow actually. Um, but yeah, I, I had Jordan Addison at the top of my ballot. I voted for him all the way through. Um, my final three was actually, he's the only one of the final three that is an actual finalist. Uh, I had Dontavian Wicks of Virginia and I believe it was Devin Tompkins from Utah State as as my three finalists. Mm. The three finalists wound up being uh, David Bell from Purdue, Jameson Williams from Alabama, and uh, Jordan Addison. Right, you di- you didn't feel compelled. I I believe At Perry was uh, a semi finalist, or did you feel at all compelled to put his name down? You know, uh, maybe I'm getting myself into trouble. I didn't even have him as one of my ten uh, semi finalists. It's not that I think At Perry is a bad receiver. Like he's he's a great receiver. His growth has been incredible to watch. It's the Wake. Also has Jaquari Roberson, who's a thousand yard receiver who they spread the ball around to. Right. You know, they're not reliant on one of those guys to be the guy. Um, yards per catch is is important to me and yards per target. Um, you know, I, I kind of dove into the PFF stats with it. Uh, and that's kind of how I wound up with Jordan Addison because he does a lot of different things and Pitt does a lot of different things to get his, get his hands on the ball. Um, drops are a big part of it, and and AT I think would be maybe not the first, but but one of the first to admit that drops have been a little bit of an issue for him this year. Um, he's cleaned it up the last two games, like he's been really good against Clemson and BC, but he had three drops against NC State, and he had two drops against Carolina. And you know, if if you're a receiver, you can't drop the ball. Like that's what's what's your number one goal. <laughs> I think that can be credited as to one of the biggest turnarounds of the entire pit receiver group. I think they led the country in drops last year, and that combined with just being more explosive really helped turn the entire team around. And I wouldn't even thought they led the Coastal because everybody just talked about how bad Miami's receivers were. Like, <laughs> Garrett King would have had a completion percentage of 120% if their receivers could catch the ball was, was the only story I heard last year, so... We've yeah. we've been saying how how Pickett's numbers should have been better uh, since he was a sophomore. Just talk about his receivers dropping passes, falling after they catch the ball. Uh, so the the emergence of some real receivers on our end and the realest receiver uh, in Addison um, <laughs> definitely definitely was breath of fresh air and probably one of the biggest reasons we turned it around this year. We actually uh, created a statistic of our own. The loyal sons did the pat the. Uh, Pickett adjusted touchdown total that was going to be <laughs> how many touchdowns he deserved this year and we actually haven't had to pull it out since 
the second episode because instead of just falling at the one yard line or uh, letting dimes by picket bounce off of their chest and or face mask in the back of the end zone uh pit receivers are catching them with two hands and completing the process and it 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 shows up on the in the statistical category on its own so that's been a breath of fresh air for us i'm a huge fan of made up stats uh like i just (laughs) came out of a dave clausen press conference and he was talking about how they haven't had an average defensive game it's either been really good or really bad so I submitted that we should just start calling Wake's defense bend or break. Well, that's fair. That's I, I think uh, a lot can that can similarly be said of of Pitt. We call it more boom or bust, but uh, we're, we're both on team alliteration there. Um, so so Addison, you have locked in in the Blitnikoff. It sounds like you aren't really at, at liberty to to speak about who you have or will have you already voted for the Heisman or no, I think anybody that votes for the Heisman before the conference championship games should have their vote taken. Couldn't they agree give, more. They give you an extra two days. There's no reason that, I mean, unless you have just the re- most ridiculous travel schedule after a, after a conference championship game, there's no reason somebody shouldn't take that Sunday and uh, evaluate it. And a couple times I've taken them Monday and literally been filing my ballot at like two 30 when the deadline's five and I, I've gotten those all caps emails of like, we need your ballot. Right. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm evaluating if somebody should get it over Joe Burrow or who should be second or third after Joe Burrow, that kind of thing. So, yeah, especially this year and there's really no clear front runner to most people. I think it's still up for grabs and in years past, you kind of had that standout. And even like, even the years that there has been a like, you know, the Joe, Joe Burrow was going to win the Heisman. I don't know how that right. wasn't a unanimous, but second and third place are really, really important. And sometimes you need to put, you know, more assessment into who you're giving second and third place votes to than, you know, your your consensus winner of it. Well, you seem very thorough, so I trust that you do the right thing. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> what what? What John uh, means is, please, please, you you don't have to tell us, but we're going to beg multiple times through this. Begging is sort of our thing. We beg Pitt to win every single week. It's kind of like we only have one piece of merchandise, and it's a T-shirt that says, uh, please win in Pitt script. Um, Please vote for Kenny Pickett. But having said that, um, can you give any insight into what you think would need to happen, what dominoes would need to fall in the uh, in the conference championship weekend for Kenny to have a shot at taking that trophy uh, back to Oakland? I think he's got a decent shot as it stands. Uh, going out and throwing for five touchdowns and 400 yards against Wake's defense is not going to send quite the reverberations through the college football world. Uh, as some other people have opportunities in front of them just because Wake's defense has been broken before. So it's it's not really – it's not the most marquee matchup that you could hope for. I mean, if, this is where if, if you were playing the hypothetical game, uh, you guys probably wanted to see Clemson instead of Wake uh, if it was about Kenny Seisman chances just because – going out and throwing for a bunch of yards and touchdowns against Clemson for the second time would would really send a message 
you know, other around, around the rest of the country. Uh, I'm really interested to see what Will Anderson does for Alabama against Georgia's offense. I know Georgia's offense is not the unit that gets all the attention that uh, their defense gets, but that guy's got, I think, 30 and a half TFLs this year. Um, I think the last person that had that many was in Dominican Sioux, um, maybe Aaron Donald, but I'm interested to watch that one. Uh, I'm interested to watch, you know, we're not going to get CJ Stroud again, which is fine. Uh, the SEC game is really the one that I want to pay attention to. Right between uh, Will Anderson and uh, and Bryce Young, and of course Jordan Davis, who feels like he's kind of uh, a, a media darling for the award because he represents the defense as a whole. And it's uh, so and tough. It's it's so tough to evaluate Jordan Davis because I don't even think he's played fifty percent of their defensive snaps. So that's that's gotta that's gotta factor in some way. Um, you got to be able to factor in garbage time. Like I'm sure you're not putting Jordan Davis out there with five minutes left against Missouri when, you know, you don't want him to roll an ankle, but yeah, I think he's, I think he, the last time I looked, which has admittedly been a while, he played something like 28% of their defensive snaps this season. Um, it was, it was a low number. It was a lot lower than I thought it was going to be. You gotta, you gotta balance it all. Yeah, I I think that like David said, that's kind of a you know, give Georgia something, someone in that race, uh, give them a dog in the race, just because of how dominant they've been. Um, but to just kind of shift gears here a little bit, uh, I think I think we've made our point very clear as who to who we want you to vote for. Um, Please, and aren't aren't hearing your arguments about any of the other guys, so that's enough of that. Um, but so just just from a wake. Force perspective um how do you view the pit football program um you know are we just another team in the acc a contender a misfit uh, how, how does it look from you know a wake forest fan looking looking at pit this weekend um i mean objectively i i think that pit is a program that i wish the acc had more respect for its history um I guess when, when I say the ACC, uh, the league has respect for Pitt's history. I guess it's more media and fans. Um, I mean, you're talking about a team that has really produced some of the best football players ever. Uh, I don't think enough people realize that. I think it's, I think it's Pitt and I think it's Syracuse. Um, you guys just came over from the Big East and it was kind of like, well, these two are uh they're not the same big east coup that we got when we got miami and virginia tech but they're here and they're gonna boost the the league's numbers um we're turning uh, you know that realignment cycle kind of turned things into a super league uh if you will i think when Pitt came down here in 2018 uh, I was so impressed with the physicality of that team. And I don't think that's changed in the last four seasons or three seasons, whatever it's been. Uh, that just, that was a manhandling of a game. I think Wake even scored the first 10 points 
uh, if I'm not mistaken. But even when Wake was up 10, nothing kind of looked and said, like, they're going to have problems here. And I think what was the what was the final score of that game? Like 34-10, 37-10, maybe 37-13, something like that. So it's just it's a it's a program that, you know, you deal with the preseason expectations and you deal with like the UNC is always going to be the sleeping giant in the coastal. And if there's a reason for people that vote in the preseason ACC poll to pick UNC number one, like there was this year with Sam Howell, they're probably going to do it. And that's probably going to lead to some hurt feelings in July and August uh, for, for teams like Pitt. Um, you know, some years it, it, you know, Virginia Tech, uh, certainly not this year. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a program that I think, I think this year, nothing changes overnight. Uh, I think that probably mentally prepare yourselves for Pitt to be under slotted, uh, next season's ACC poll, they're going to lose Kenny Pickett and people are just going to look at losing Kenny Pickett and say, well, they're going to take a step backward. Um, yeah, we're ready to get slotted behind uh, Miami, UNC, and Virginia Tech as usual. So, yeah, big fans' favorite uh, off-season activity is to guess where Virginia Tech will be ranked, despite going like six and six the prior year. I didn't think they were going to be that bad this year, but man, they they really they had nothing. Yeah, they outdid themselves. There's no way they can even sneak into the top <laughs> twenty-five at this point. As much as the media loves to just give it to them. They're going to start 2022 at 16 again. <laughs> it's inevitable. Well, I, I, I should know more. Uh, I didn't know the name of Penn State's defensive coordinator until this morning. Now he's a head coach in the ACC, so I guess I got to learn up on him. More reason for us to hate Virginia Tech. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> They're now the Penn State of the South. So something that Pitt fans are actually worried about as opposed to those rankings of the past is this goofy Wake Forest RPO offense. The RPOs have given us fit earlier earlier in the year whenever we played Western Michigan. And uh, I think what Wake Forest does is just that on steroids. Uh, How did this come about? How did it start and how did it get to become such a force? So Wake's, Wake's had some coaching turnover on the defensive side of the ball, but their offensive staff has been together for pretty much Dave Clawson's entire tenure in Wake Forest. Uh, it's been eight seasons together, and they've mastered it. Uh, Warren Ruggiero is is the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. He's kind of a mad genius. I think I think he'd be okay with with me calling him that. Like I think he's self aware enough to know that he is a bit of a mad genius. Um, it's it's unique. Uh, nobody else really runs it. At least nobody else, you know, coaches use this term. Nobody else majors in it. Uh, some teams have dabbled in the slow mesh and and trying to install it. I was I was riding back from somewhere today or uh, this season and heard that Virginia Tech had had run a RPO that looked like it was a slow mesh point, and they pointed out like that looked like a Wake Forest play, uh, which was kind of weird to hear on the radio. But um, it's it's something that 
Dave Clawson will tell you, you can't go run this. Um, you have to have the right personnel, right? You have to, and at Wake Forest, your personnel is going to be smart kids. Like you have to be pretty smart to get into Wake Forest. You might not get the the four and five star athletes. Uh, they actually they they don't get many four stars. They I don't know. I don't. Wake Forest has never had a five star uh, recruit. So what they do with these three stars and underrated two stars is they know they're smart. They're gonna use their intelligence to their advantage, and so they're gonna run something that requires some reading and and some snap decisions being made i can't snap very well but uh they're they're going to use that to their advantage it's not going to be a disadvantage that the academic restrictions limit who you can and can't get into the school um and and it's it's eight years of building it it's eight years of refining and seeing which parts of it work, which parts of it don't and tinkering, uh, in the spring and summer. So how do we stop it? That has a really good defensive <laughs> line. So we think that might help. Maybe we can get into the backfield before he has time to even look downfield or pull it back. Uh, have teams had a lot of success slowing that down or has it kind of just been, uh, so don't let them score 50 and it'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, how quickly can you get a GoFundMe to hire Brent Venable's services for one game? Because I'd say that's your surest bet on Don't how to beat us. It. We have some pretty yeah, loyal I mean, followers. Hey, it's it's about a two and a half hour drive up from Clemson to Charlotte. Uh, maybe two if you if you speed and avoid some road closure. So, no, Clemson is the one team that stops it consistently, and it's because Brent Venable's is a chess master. Uh, they've got a team of analysts that pick your signals, and I think they're pretty good at picking wakes. Uh, that's not confirmed, but it's just kind of – they do things well, against wakes. Yeah, they, they do things against wake that nobody else is able to do. And so you have to think about what Clemson has that nobody else has, and it's a team of 20 to 30 analysts that sit up in a booth and look at every signal, every every – uh single signal that's a tongue tire uh, that you will run and look it, it's it's not just a Clemson thing like other teams can do it I just I I take Clemson as the model because they're the ones that do it every single year it's a gap pressure it's it's just intense pressure up the middle um and when you're when you're looking at Clemson, you're looking at ready-made defensive tackles, and it's not just the starting defensive tackles that look like NFL defensive tackles. It's the third and fourth guys that are rotating in behind them. Uh, it's the defensive ends like Miles Murphy that they'll throw into the middle, and he can get pushed against your interior. And that's how you that's how you beat the slow mesh. That's how you kind of disrupt what Wake wants to do. I don't think I'm giving away trade secrets because, you know, if, if I know it, then a college football coach worth their contract should know it. I would hope Pat Narduzzi doesn't need to listen to this to get that insight. I hope he already has somewhat of an idea of how to slow that down. But that's something that Pitt fans had nightmares about for a couple of weeks earlier in the year. 
And and so for our uh, our listeners that don't understand the X's and O's like like us, you know, we're all we're all big uh, film film grinder guys, and and this definitely isn't me asking for my benefit. Uh, could you very briefly explain um, this this delayed or the the mesh point you were talking about as if I was five years old? All right, so a, a run pass option is a play with three options on it. You're either handing the ball to the running back. Uh, you are, as the quarterback, you're either handing the ball to the running back, you're pulling it and running to the opposite side of where the running back is headed, or you're pulling it and throwing it to a receiver. And so the slow part of this comes in where everybody else in the country, when they run an RPO, that, decision point of hand the ball to the running back, pull it yourself and run, pull it yourself and pass. All of that, all of that decision is made in one second with wake and the slow part of it. It can last that, that decision doesn't have to be made. It's being made over as long as, as a, as long as a three to four second span. There's so much more reading involved in looking at where the safeties are dropping, where the linebackers are dropping, where the linebackers are pressuring, that Wake, again, they're the only ones in the country that do it this way, uh, at least consistently. And they they just, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's elongated. Um, and it really puts, it really puts the pressure on the defense up the middle. Um, I guess in baseball, you know, you have to have a strong defense up the middle. Football has kind of become the same way. You need to be strong up the middle. And Wake puts pressure on your on your defense up the middle. Yes, thank you. That will be very helpful for those of our listeners that don't understand that as well as the three of us all together understand it very well. Um, so Wake Forest has been able to run that to perfection this year year um and and thus the meteoric rise of of wake forest football in 2021 um which which by the way look at us who who saw who saw this coming before the year is this where we get the paul rudd uh, yes we're, we're literally paul rudd right now <laughs> um so pretty cool aside from the competitive part pretty cool um neither of us are clemson or unc um but but like i mentioned pretty meteoric rise this year. Uh, and, and a lot of that has been on the back of Sam Hartman, who's played unbelievably out of his mind. Um, aside from the coaching staff and Sam Hartman, is there another player you would contribute with for, uh, with the success? I'm sorry. Is there another player uh, whom you would give credit for Wake Forest's incredible successes this year? an interesting question I hadn't really given much thought to um the defense has a lot of experienced guys who have kind of elevated their games I mean the the one that stands out is Luke Masterson he's a starting outside linebacker it's his sixth year of college football uh linebacker is is kind of depending on your previous definition of wakes um rover position he's either on his third or fourth different position like all going all the way back to 2017 
he started at safety in South Bend uh, in place of Jesse Bates the third when Jesse was down. Uh, and so he's gone from being pretty overmatched in that game to being, I think he was honorable mention all ACC linebacker today. And this is his first year of playing linebacker. Uh, he's really, he's, he's a journeyman. Like he went from, you know, that, that spot start in 2017 at safety to wake in 20 halfway through 2018 was down to one healthy scholarship linebacker. So they started Luke at linebacker in a game at Florida state and he had a few tackles and actually handled himself well. And then he kind of transitioned to Rover. And then this year they kind of, uh, it's been told to us that they basically like let him, let him go with his weight and let him bulk up to be a linebacker. And so he's been, he's been really good there. Um, it's kind of the one guy I think I would say. All right. All right. We've talked enough about Wake Forest. Uh, and how great they are. But uh, if you look, when you look at Pitt, um, obviously, you know, the potent offense, Kenny Pickett, but what really scares you the most about this matchup for Wake Forest? Scares me most is Kenny Pickett. Please call him his... Kenny Heisman, please. <laughs> I thought that was only uh, the UNC quarterback that had that in his name. Uh so when he came down here and started in 2018, um, I did a lot of stats that year to show how bad Wake's defense was. And one of the ones I used was Kenny Pickett threw for less than 150 yards that season, I think in 10 of 12 games. Does that sound right to you guys? Probably. That sounds all too right. Absolutely. And he threw for 300 yards against Wake that day. Like he obliterated Wake's pass defense as – this unheralded, you know, who the hell is Kenny Pickett, uh, at least as, as far as I knew, guy. So seeing him now, seeing him through uh, two more seasons of growth and then this season where it's just all come together and he's turned himself into a first-round pick and he's just – he's regardless of where he falls in the Heisman ballot, he has had a phenomenal season – if he threw for 300 yards against Wake when he was not this version of himself, what does he do in this game? When he's when he doesn't have running backs that needed to get the ball 15 to 20 times a game, like that's what I remember about that pit team was their running attack was awesome. Um, I feel terrible that I can't remember the running backs' names. It was the, the tandem. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the tandem they had after James Conner, and I was a huge James Conner guy just because of the last name, right? So. It's go. uh, <laughs> they don't have the running attack, and and that's where I think you know, Wake's defense has been susceptible to the run. And I was telling somebody earlier this week, like it's actually kind of to Wake's advantage that Pitt doesn't seem like they have much interest in running the ball sometimes. Like they just want to let Kenny cook. They just want to get Jordan Addison the ball in space and see what happens. Um. The, the team that Wake played that's closest to that is Virginia, and that was a 20-point win for Wake. Now, I'm not saying Wake is winning by 20 on Saturday. I don't think anybody is winning that game by 20. Uh, but I do think it's, it's at least in Wake's advantage that 
Pitt is not a team that's going to ground and pound them uh, like Carolina did, like Clemson did. And those two games, Wake gave up 330 and 333 on the ground. They gave up 354 and 419 to Syracuse and Army. Um, even if you even if you let Pitt run for that much, I don't know if Pitt wants to run for that much. You know, like they want to get they they want to have Kenny Pickett uh, throw it all over the place. That's, that's something where that I, Pitt fans have thought about too. There have been a couple of games that kind of got out of control and we lost, but we threw for like 500 yards and six touchdowns. So on one hand it's working, but on the other hand, should we slow it down? Do we really want to be in a track meet with one of these teams? Uh, I don't know. At times we've been able to run the ball to milk the clock out and keep our defense off the field, but other games it's been playing catch up and throwing it 50 times. Yeah, make no defense gets off the field in the last possession. Make no mistake. Pitt, is capable of running the ball. They have they have two pretty talented young running backs in you know Rodney Hammond and Izzy Abanaconda. Uh, however, there is just no will to run the ball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I never played any high level of football, but to me, it's always uh, you have to have the will to run the ball to be able to run the ball. You can't just do it out of necessity. You can't just do it because oh, it's third and one. Uh, every analytic tells us that we need to run the ball here on this down. It's you, you have to make a concentrated effort to do it. Well, third and one and fourth and one, and I'm going to clue you into this because you're going to see it at least once during the game, third and one and fourth and one are the two situations where I feel like Kenny Pickett averages the most yards per completion. They, he, he has to have a dozen touchdowns this year of 30 yards or more on third and fourth and one. So they aren't, they aren't running. They have, they have two bruising (laughs) backs between uh, Izzy and Hammond and, and they've been airing it out on those short downs. So be on the lookout for that. And, and know a run is not coming when they're in that situation. I feel like I did see, uh, I think it was the Carolina game. They had a fourth and one long touchdown, right? Like 30 or 40 yard touchdown. Uh, maybe to Addison. Yeah, no matter where they're on the field, fourth and one, if they're going for it, just know they're going to get a touchdown. We're going to be mad as we watch Pickett drop back. Everyone's going to yell, why aren't you running the ball? But it'll work, and then we'll shut up and enjoy oh, it. So, so it's like one of those basketball shots where it's a no, 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 yes. Exactly. Gotcha. Transition three-pointer. Yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, uh, cruise from Coach Carter. Uh, that's what it feels like just about every time um but let's let's get to the predictions then uh you you sound like you kind of like the matchup for your demon deacons uh do you have any any score predictions in mind for this game uh also just as a a caveat to that we ask all of our guests what they think kenny pickett's stat line is gonna be so so have that one in the back of your your mind because that's coming next um I hate predicting winners and, and that kind of thing. I will say that I, I think that this will probably be a matter of the first team to 40 wins. Um, I think the over under being at 72, at least that's what it was two days ago. It might've gone up since then. I think that's low. I think both of these teams are going to score over 40. Um 
I, like I said, I, I think, you know, Wake is susceptible to the run, and that's the that's where they've been hurt more. They also give up pass yards. They're not just a one-dimensional defense that's going to take away one and you're going to be able to do the other. You can pass on. I mean, you know, uh, you can flip on, uh, I think it was Clemson's second drive. Uh, Wake's two, best two defensive linemen had a shot at DJ Uyagalale, and he just kind of bounces off both of them and flicks it downfield for a 50-yard completion. And it's like Clemson hadn't been able to do that against anybody all year. And you give that up. So it's it's not a wake defense that is going to go out there and uh, stop the, the passing attack. Wake's, wake's offense um, – I think scores in this game, they've scored against everybody. They haven't even been sharp for the last month and they've scored over 40 against three of the four teams. Like they've, they committed. Uh, I don't think they had a turnover this past weekend, but the three games before that they had a combined eight turnovers. Um, they just, they haven't been that good and they've still been putting up these insane numbers. It's kind of incredible based on where the program was in Dave Clawson's first three seasons because they were a very much defensive-oriented team. Like, that's where all the talent was. They tried to slow games down. Um, now they can kind of – it's – you don't want to say sleepwalk. They're, they're out there trying. They're putting forth effort. But, you know, they're out there not at their best, and they're still scoring 27 points against Clemson, 45 against NC State, and 55 against Carolina. And it really should have been more against Carolina. They really bogged down for the last quarter and a half of that game. So points, 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 points. And whoever, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see if the Wake Pitt basketball score is as high as the football score is this weekend. Oh. Pitt, Pitt basketball. Uh, I'll take the over for uh, football points over pit basketball points in just about any matchup this season, regardless of who they're playing. Um, so I guess we're not going to get a score prediction out of you just yet. I mean, I'll give you 48, 45. I just won't tell you which one has 48. <laughs> we'll take that as you don't want to let down uh, Deacon's illustrated uh, followers. <laughs> so, all right, we'll, we'll score that one to the Panthers. What about, we're putting up 48 points or 45. Uh, what, what's Kenny Pickett's stat line look like? I think let's give him 32 completions, 47 in, uh, attempts, not incompletions. That would be a terrible percentage. For whatever reason, 431 is in my mind, 431 passing yards. I like it. Um, let's see, somebody's. 48-45 means both teams probably have six touchdowns. I'd say Kenny throws four touchdowns and runs one in. Maybe maybe Izzy gets uh, one one little touchdown that can be his. And then after uh, Georgia shuts down Bryce Young, takes home a trophy the next weekend. <laughs> is, that, is that what we think? Uh, you know, we'll see. Um yeah, I mean, it's just there's more research to be dove into on that front. We're happy to offer, uh, you know, any any level of help that you need <laughs> to 
digging into some Kenny Pickett numbers, statistics, um, fruit baskets, any anything you need to make that final decision, please. We'll be in Charlotte. We'll hand deliver it. <laughs> think yeah. about it. Just think about it. I'll, I'll ponder it. Thank you. Great. Well, um, we, we really appreciate your time. Uh, we really appreciate your first place vote for Kenny Pickett. And uh, we wish you the best of luck covering this matchup in Charlotte. And uh, congrats again on a really great season for Wake Forest. Again, I don't, I don't think either of us thought we'd be here. And it's just kind of fun and cool. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, like neither one of these teams is going to a playoff, but does that really dampen how exciting it is to be playing for a conference championship? I'm like, not for me. Winner goes. Winner goes to Phoenix or or uh, Atlanta. Like this is this is awesome. This is great. I'll take ten wins every year. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> leave leave the the twelve and zero and being disappointed to the birds, man. That that's for Clemson. Thanks again, Connor. Uh, it was great. You were great, and uh, hopefully we see you down in Charlotte. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I'll be there. Third and goal from the five. To the end zone, touchdown Pittsburgh. Arujo Lopes beat a couple defenders to the corner, and Pitt retakes the lead. Thank you again to EJ Brigetti and Connor O'Neill from Deacons Illustrated for joining us on this week's podcast. So, uh, gentlemen, we just heard what a uh, journalist and an expert had to say about this matchup, this ACC championship. Now let's uh, discuss what our dumb brains have to say. So obviously, Pitt's biggest game of the year, the ACC championship. Who would have ever thought we'd be in this position, but here we are. What are your guys' keys to the game, and how do you think things will shake out? So I think the, the easy answer is, you know, what defense can get more stops? I think that would be Pitt. Um, but I think a big thing is going to be just taking care of the ball. Uh, it's going to be a track meet. Um, a lot of points, a lot of yards going to be scored. Sorry, a lot of points going to be scored, a lot of yards going to be gained. But, um, but I like what Connor had to say about Wake Forest defense not being very strong against the run. I think, I think he's underestimating uh, how Pitt may be able to exploit that. I think... Maybe a big game from Izzy, Hammond, Vinny Davis, the, the three-headed monster there. I think, you know, we get a big lead, like a couple games this year, milk the clock with the run in the fourth quarter. That would be a beautiful sight to see. So, um, But I do think, you know, getting up and holding a lead uh, early in the first half and not having to play from behind is, is a key for the Panthers. Yeah, I'm very nervous. I know our defense has shown that they're capable of just getting enough stops uh, recently. But this offense is different. I think this is going to be explosive. There's going to be big plays. They're going to be quick drives uh, and a lot of points. I think our secondary is going to be running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And uh, I, I don't think Wake Forest really tries to run the ball all that much. They don't. They run a I was looking at it earlier today. They run slightly more than we do. Okay. They don't put up many rushing yards, but I don't think they're going to have any desire to run the ball with the way they're going to be 
airing out to the outside, taking shots here and there. So I think Kenny Pickett will step up to the plate and he will score enough points. That's what it's come down to. Points, points, points. I think from a defensive perspective, if I were to design an offense that would give me nightmares as a Pitt fan, it would be exactly what Wake Forest does. Yes. First of all, an RPO. Second of all, an RPO that that delayed RPO, it, it's almost as if it's designed to let to to take advantage of overly aggressive pass rushing, which is kind of our entire thing. Um, so I don't be putting a lot of money into the game we don't mention jar. Uh, I remember the Western Michigan. Our linebackers were just in no man's land the entire time, and they weren't even doing this delayed handoff mesh point thing. They were just sticking it there, pulling it back, throwing it over our heads. I don't know what they're going to do. Well, There needs to be a lot of adjustments made. I'm sure they have practiced this a million times, like what to do, simulating the read. But the way that they play, that's going to be tough to keep on block for a full four quarters. I don't think that you can compare those two things. I think it was so obvious how flat-footed and unprepared Pitt was for that game that we do not speak about. You're they, telling me they, that that must... game didn't have enough, as much hype as the ACC championship game? I think I'm going out on a limb to say that, yes. Okay. Um, I, I think when Pitt knows it as a big matchup, they come prepared. I think they're going to be prepared for this. Uh, do I think that they are going to be successful against this delayed RPO? Probably not. But what it could come down to is forcing a couple of turnovers. Our pass rush is legit, and uh, you know we have a, a couple guys who can hawk to the ball in the secondary, and I, I think it would be a matter of a couple turnovers. Connor said it himself. They've been having a little bit of a, a, a turnover issue, so that, that's exactly what it com- could come down to. But at the end of the day, this is Kenny Pickett's one shining moment in a game where they know what is on the line for him his legacy, his future career, and it is the biggest game uh, in the last 45 years plus of, of pit football. So I, I I just have to imagine due diligence has been done to get that defense ready to, uh, to hawk after the ball and, and a game plan that is going to have Kenny Pickett lighting up the Demon Deacons. Um. I'm I'm terrified, I'm very nervous, but I'm so excited. Uh, this is the whole point of college football. This is what you strive for: play for a conference championship, play for a trophy that matters. And the Panthers are going to get it done. I'm going to go 44-38, your Pittsburgh Football Panthers, to win the ACC championship. Kenny Pickett, I mean, you got to ride him. This is his last game. Uh, before a bowl game, of course, but championship game before the Heisman ceremony, 35 for 46, 407, four touchdowns, one rushing. Kenny Pickett stamps his Heisman moment uh, with a with a big fourth quarter against Wake Forest. Okay, do we get a Heisman pose from Kenny after a rushing touchdown in like the third, fourth quarter of this game? No, we get a we get a uh, shotgun the beer celebration again. 
I would take either. Which they which they then uh, mold and make the new Heisman Trophy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he strikes a Heisman pose, do they have to give him the trophy? I don't know, but he should try it. That'd be worth trying. I, don't, I haven't seen anyone else do it yet. Desmond uh, Howard. <laughs> I meant this year. <laughs> fair, fair point. Um, Does De- Desmond Howard have to choke a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> no, I honestly don't think it's a terrible idea because... Uh, Heisman voters in the media have just been so oblivious to Kenny for the past couple weeks, even though he's putting up better numbers than the two guys ahead of him, that I think he just needs to strike the post and be like, see, me, Kenny Pickett, Heisman, Kenny, Heisman, Kenny, Heisman. Heisman. Just to really drive it into their brains. I don't think a lot of these voters are taking it as seriously as our guy Connor is, but uh, I, I don't think that's a terrible idea. Okay, like so how about a Heisman pose after every touchdown pass? So four. Really drive it home. Yeah. So is that what you, is that what you have? Four touchdowns for Kenny? I do. I just want to rant there about how I think our defense is going to look pretty rough. On the flip side, Wake Forest hasn't been here either. We, we were here a couple years ago. Uh, we have a old team, a lot of veterans. They really seem to focus in and I think they're up for the challenge. This is what we do for Wake Forest. Uh, Sam Hartman puts up big numbers, but we watched some of those bigger games. NC State, they won. He did not have a good completion percentage. They were throwing it all over the field and uh, they probably should have lost that game. At one point, I think A.T. Perry had 15 targets with like three catches. Yeah, it was ridiculous. They were not in sync. It's possible to get this offense off of rhythm. Like UNC even did it. They did it to us. UNC held us scoreless in the second half. They held Wake Forest to nothing in the fourth quarter after giving up like 55. So it's possible to slow this offense down. And like I said, it's going to take a lot of points. But we got the right man for the job. I'm saying... 49, 44, Pitt, Kenny Pickett, 38. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why we try to do the completions in the tennis. That's so nebulous. Yeah, my brain. Just go. Just just. 445, three passing, one rushing. Touchdowns. One Heisman pose. Love it, love it. So, I'm really torn between what I think will happen and what I want will happen. Not that I think Pitt might drop this game. I'm, I'm not playing. I'm not playing that this week. I just think, like, in terms of what Kenny Pickett needs to happen and what I, I really genuinely hope for him and, like, my realistic expectation. Uh, because what, what I think he needs to happen, and I don't think any of us have mentioned this yet, I think Pitt would need to win big for him to win the Heisman. If it's like a 52-48 to 48 game, I think voters would look at that as like... I'm sorry. If it's like a 52-48 to 48 game and Kenny has 500 yards and six touchdowns, they're going to say, oh, well, it was just one of those games. And, and somehow, you know, the high-scoring affair being held against him in the voting. But I think if Pitt like really took it to Wake Forest and... Uh, Kenny put up those numbers. I think it would impress people. Um, but realistically, I, I I don't think we're going to win by four touchdowns. I think we're just going to win by, you know, the standard one. Uh, so, you know, 
it, it, it's interesting, and I, I don't think there's a lot of things I want in life more than Kenny Pickett holding up that trophy in New York City. Uh, so having said all of that, I, I'm going to go with a uh, Pitt 48-42 victory. Kenny Pickett will have 375 yards and five touchdowns. That's the, a little bit lower on the yardage end, but I, I do think Pitt is finally, only took until this week, but finally going to mix in the run appropriately uh, outside of just, oh, we're up a score, let's take the air out of the ball, but make it a part of the, an integral part of their game plan from the get-go. I think that is something that we're probably going to have to do. I don't want this to be a situation where Wake Forest gets the ball last. I don't want it to be uh, playing catch-up or back-and-forth the entire game. Uh, keep if our Wake, defense off the field. If Wake Forest gets the ball with like a minute and a half left down six, I will be puking yeah. in, my, in the stadium. I won't be able to handle that. I actually might have a stroke. So, carry I'm shaking on. thinking about it right now. Carry on. We've Bro, done a lot of... I'm going to ask everyone to stop what they're doing and just vote for Kenny Pickett online right now. Yeah, real quick plug. Also, another quick plug. In the 24 hours since we started this episode, Brian Kelly was hired by LSU. I don't want to get into that, but I also don't want us to sound stupid. But anyway, moving onwardly, um, we've done a lot of begging this year. We've ended every episode saying, please win, um... You just listened to us beg Connor O'Neill to vote for Kenny Pickett for like 30 minutes. I need everybody. Go to whatever temple or mosque or church <laughs> is in your neighborhood. Or, or just go outside the cathedral for learning. Or if you're non-religious, you know, face the sun and the moon and, and just get on your hands and knees. And I'm literally on my hands and knees in the studio right now. Beg for victory. My dad always said uh, when I played in Catholic school, and you know he'd we'd do our little prayers before the game. He would always say, "Son, pray not for victory, for God willing, you will." He never said a damn word about begging. Beg, Panther Nation. Beg, loyal sons, for us to go home with that ACC championship trophy. It's all that you and me, the passive listener, can do. Other than show up in Charlotte and cheer. Which is what we will be doing. Please win. Please. Please win. From the three, it's Hall into the end zone, untouched. Pittsburgh takes the lead. Thank you for listening to the Loyal Sons podcast, presented by the Loyal Sons on Twitter. That's at the Loyal Sons. Follow us there and follow us here anywhere you listen to your podcast. We'll see you in Charlotte this weekend as the Pitt Panthers take on the Wake Forest Demon Deacons in the 2021 ACC Championship. Show up loud, show up proud in Bank of America Stadium as the Pittsburgh Panthers, Pat Narduzzi, and Kenny Pickett take the final step to be crowned Atlantic Coast Conference football champions.
as always, please. Pr pretty please. Please win. Hail, loyal sons of Pittsburgh. Please win. Oh.